Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 369 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is May 4th, 2015. May the 4th be with you for your Star Wars fans out there. Happy May 4th. Um, got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Lots of NFL talk because of the USC Trojans in the NFL draft. A couple of first rounders. We're going to go over all of that with Dan Weber and Coach Harvey Hyde. And you got a lot of questions you guys have sent in. If you have questions for us, we love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That's podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or you can give us a, a, a call at 206-888-6755. That's a voicemail number. Or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page, and you can leave a voicemail right for us there. So a lot of ways to get a hold of us. we got Dan Weber, like I said, coming up later on the show. Coach Harvey Hyde right now. What's up, Coach? How you doing? Everything is great, buddy. Uh you know, uh, most spring uh, practices are completed. Oregon had theirs this past weekend, sort of late. Uh, but, uh, you yeah, know, the NFL draft now is uh, completed. And now everyone's looking at spring recruiting and verbal commits. And, uh, you know, everything moves forward towards the season and uh, the summer and the buildup and uh, all of the above. And uh, before long, football season will be here, Ryan. It will be before long. It's crazy. The spring football is going over. The draft is gone. We'll get to these summer workouts. There's a lot of uh, seven-on-seven tournaments going on in high school. Lots of different ways to, to read about and learn about football. And, of course, we're waiting for fall camp to start in the 2015 season. And before we jump into all that, Coach, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com. You can call it 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. Hey, you want to go to Clippers, who had an exciting Game 7 win over the weekend. All kinds of sporting events this past week, and hopefully if you went to any of those, you'd go to sctickets.com and they would hook you up. So check them out, and they've been helping us for years and years here on the podcast. And Coach, want to? Uh, I think we're going to talk mostly about the NFL draft. That's where most of the questions are coming in. So I'll, I'll give a little overview and kind of get your initial thoughts of uh, everything that went down, but... Uh, Leonard Williams, uh, of course, you know, he fell a little bit, went the sixth pick to the Jets, uh, round number one. Nelson Aguilar moved up, round number one. He went 20th to the Eagles, so Chip Kelly gets another Pac-12 guy. Then we didn't know. We waited. The, no one on the second day. But on the third day, fairly early on, Josh Shaw, uh, cornerback uh, for the Bengals, so he went with the uh, fourth round, uh, 120th pick overall. Five picks later, Buck Allen went to the Ravens, so... Uh, they get another running back there in Baltimore. And Randall Telfer, a little bit of a surprise. He was a sixth-round pick. He went to the Browns, 198th overall. And then Hayes Pollard also went to the Browns. Uh, he went early in the seventh round, 219th pick overall. So uh, those six Trojans got drafted. A little surprising that, that Randall Telfer got in there, but good for him. And a little surprising that George Farmer dropped out. He ended up signing a free agent deal with Dallas. Uh, Gerald Bowman, who had that incident, uh, with some of the NBA players where he got arrested. He did not get drafted. Uh, he went to Baltimore as signed a free agent. Jared Tavai signed with the Titans as a free agent. And Andre Walker signed with the Miami Dolphins uh, as a free agent. And then former USC player Kyle Prater ended up 
signing a free agent deal with the Cleveland Browns. So that's kind of an overview, Coach, of, of what went down. And uh, Melvin kind of had a question, I guess, and maybe we can start with this. Did the NFL draft go the way you predicted in terms of the USC players, or was it surprised that Nelson Aguilar went in the first round, Leonard Williams drops to number six? What do you think uh, from Melvin? Um, well, Melvin, I'll tell you, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, you have all these experts that say he's going to go when and where and everything. But, you know, each coach and each eva- each staff and franchise evaluates their needs and what's available and who they think can really play. Every Everybody's eye is a little bit different in grading. Uh, I think Leonard Williams went about where he should go. I think that's a, that's an honor to be the sixth-round uh, selection. He's going to play for the Jets. They need him. I, I think he should be very, very happy with that. You know, anywhere in the first ten players selected is is great. Nelson Aguilar, I think that was a great selection by uh, Chip Kelly. I'll tell you, Chip Kelly knows the Pac-12. He knows the players that are available because he recruited all, uh, most of these players that are still now in their senior year coming out. So he knows them, and he's doing the same type of thing that Pete Carroll did when he went to Seattle. He knew the players. He got a lot of uh, free agents and a lot of uh, late-round draft choices that have played for him at Seattle, but he's aware of the players. So I think Nelson will do a great job. He's a great athlete. Uh, want to wish all the players the best of luck, not one over the other. It's always a great opportunity as a kid to grow up and play on Friday, then play on Saturday, and then play on Sunday. Now, uh, today you play on every day, but when you used to be young, you used to say that. So uh, I think that the biggest coup of all the players at USC that came out. And, and I want you to know, it wasn't that I have anything against any of the other players, but when George Farmer wasn't being take, taken, I started texting all of my contacts as far as players I have coached or coaches that have been on my staff texting about George Farmer. I mean, here's a guy that was the number one receiver in the country coming out of high school. Yes, he's had some injury problems. He ran a 4.35, I think, at Pro Day, uh, made some great plays uh, against Notre Dame and really never played regularly, so who knows how good he really would have been. Uh, that wasn't being drafted, and I kept telling him, hey, I'm telling you, it's a sleeper. And I did the same thing when Terrell Davis wasn't being taken, too, and went in the sixth round. I kept texting all my guys saying, you're making a mistake. You're making a mistake. Here's a great player. And I think George Farmer will mature and really be a great player for for Dallas Cowboys. I, I think they got something there that's just raw talent. And uh, I just uh, hope he does for himself and for his family and have the opportunity to play. But all the other guys, you know, they're all great athletes. When you look around the conference and you see what the Pac-12 did in the, as far as numbers of players in the first round, number of players overall being drafted, you know, you always hear me say the Pac-12 is playing great football. Well, this demonstrates that they do play great football. And uh, I think most of the players from USC will have an opportunity to, to make these teams. I really do. They all play hard. They've all played against great competition. I think Andre Walker, now let's talk about him for a moment. He really did, never grew up at SC. Somehow he got in the doghouse. And when he was in the doghouse, you know, he was – wasn't going to play, but I, he has all the raw potentials to play for the Miami Dolphins. He really does. If he gets his head together, he could be a great player in the NFL for a lot of years. He's got great 
skills. He's big. He's quick. It's just if he wants to do it. Now, Lamar Dotson, uh, Dotson was his roommate in college. He got his head together this spring at USC. And he had a great spring. He's probably down at, as number one at that position currently right now, strong, strong side linebacker. Andre could do the same thing, put his head in a whirlpool, get it out, treat it, and he can be a great player. I used to tell players that, hey, go down to the training room and put your head in a whirlpool, will you? That's what needs to be treated, not your body. <laughs> and, uh, and they said, what do you mean? I'd say, yours is so bad, take a snorkel with you so you can keep it in there for a long time. <laughs> and uh, they'd understand what I was saying because a lot of guys, it's not their natural ability, their physical ability, it's their mental approach to the game and believing that they can play and what they have at stake as far as for their future and their family and the whole thing. I had to have the same type of conversation with Randall Cunningham. When he uh, stepped down and didn't want to play pro football anymore with the Philadelphia Eagles. So I went over and I visited him. I said, Randall, what are you doing on that little tractor driving around? Whatever you do when you move tile around in your lot. What are you talking about, coach? I said, why don't you go back and delete? Quit pouting. So they said you didn't want to party with him and all this and that. You could play football. And he's, oh, they, they don't want me in the league. I said, well, you let me negotiate for one week with you, and you'll be with an NFL football team. Oh, you can't do that. I'll listen to that. Why? I said, talk to him the same way about his head in the whirlpool. And I said, you owe it to your family, your kids. Where can you go, where can you go and make, even if it's 500, even, listen to this, even if it's only 500,000 a year as a backup quarterback? You know how much, how much tile you have to sell to make $500,000 in overhead and everything else here in their shop? So he said, go ahead, coach, see what you can do. Well, within a week, he signed with the Minnesota Vikings. Went there. And then, you know, he had maybe 10 more years in the NFL. Maybe not 10, but he played for the Vikings. He played for uh, the Cowboys. He played for different teams. So you've got to be able sometimes to adjust not just your body, but also your attitude on life and what God gave you, given ability to utilize it. Stevie Wonder, look how he took advantage of his, if he was to complain that he didn't have his eyesight for all those years, he would have just sat back and not been a great musician. So look at the positive things that you have in life and take advantage of them as long as you can. And, and I think this is what a lot of these kids will do. Tavai plays hard on every single down. What a great special teams player he'll be. And so all those kids have a shot to make it. they got to go there with a great attitude, and they have the opportunity of moving on. Now, is there anyone that was a senior or junior that came out, Ryan, that didn't sign or have an opportunity? No, I think everyone that we thought would at least sign somewhere or potentially get drafted was out there. I mean, I – uh, I didn't hear anything about Andre Hidari. I don't. I, I don't believe he signed with anybody. But um, you know, wasn't I, he wasn't expected to get drafted as a, a kicker or anything like that. Uh, but you know, Walker, we weren't sure about. I mean, a lot of people had him high because of the potential. Um, Tavai, you know, led the team in sacks. There was going to be, you know, he's kind of an undersized guy, but you know, he started for since he was a freshman. He was starting at all these different positions, and you know, of course, Farmer was everyone was talking about. Um, you know, Gerald Bowman had the. Uh, the incident where he got arrested. So I think there's some some questions there. But, uh, yeah, I think for the most part, everybody in there that you felt was going to go somewhere, potentially could go somewhere, did. Good. 
congratulations. And I, I didn't know about the Bowman situation. I, I'm uh, sorry about that. Yeah, it was a weird thing where the couple of NBA players, uh, they all got uh, – arrested together or something it's very it just kind of happened like a week or so before the draft we actually talked we had charles davis on uh who was with the nfl network and fox and he's a great college football analyst but he also covers the nfl we had him on and he pretty much nailed what you know we had him on i think wednesday before the draft and he he, he was pretty accurate on what um you know what ended up happening for the usc players uh you know randall telfer he thought probably would sign somewhere and and Farmer, he thought, would get drafted. So it kind of worked in the other way. But yeah, Farmer, to me, it seemed like he was going to get in there, Coach, because he had run that, that really fast time at the 40. But, you know, just didn't have enough tape in, in college, I think, for a team to pull the trigger and draft it. Well, you know, Bob Hayes never played college football. He didn't have a bad career. Yeah. That's a little bit before your time. A little bit, but I've heard the name. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you take kids on athletic ability and potential, and he's played football. He played a lot of high school football. Just look at his ability. Uh, what, in the Notre Dame game, he caught two touchdown passes. Great catches. Uh, so, I mean, you know, he's going to get a shot if he, if he uh, goes to camp ready to play, and he's tough because he's going to be a little bit different. He's got to be tough, and he wants a spot there with the Dallas Cowboys. You can't get a better player than him as far as a free agent. You really can't. It's better for him really not to get drafted because he can pick the team that most needs that type of position where he has an opportunity to make it. So a lot of players, it's better for them not to be drafted than to be a free agent, take a look at what teams are offering you, and then side with that team. And it, and for people that don't know how it works, I mean, you get every team gets a pool of money that they can sign these undrafted free agents, but I believe – the maximum signing bonus you can get is a eighty thousand dollar bonus. So, uh, I mean, that's basically one year of tuition at USC. So, uh, it's you know, it'll be you hope you wish him the best. Uh, you hope that he made the right decision and he works out and gets a great NFL career. And it's nice to be able to kind of have more say in which team you go to. But the the money factor is significantly less, and you you still have a chance to make the team and all that. But it's it's a different. It's a tougher road than if someone spent a third or fourth round draft pick on you. No, you're right. Right now, the way the draft goes, if you're a third, fourth, or fifth round player, you're normally going to make the make the team. You really are. Uh, if you don't make the team, then really, the drafting uh, evaluation and methods really weren't done right as far as in the drafting uh, procedures. You got to get people that are going to help you and play and make the team. You really do. So uh, if you're drafted in the first uh, top rounds there, you, you, if you do what you're supposed to do and they evaluated you properly, you should make the team. Yeah. So very interesting. So we'll be following uh, all the careers here of the former Trojans, and uh, we'll keep you updated on the, the podcast. If you have any questions for us about different guys, you can still email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. But uh, hopefully that gives you a good idea of where these players went and how it went for USC in the draft. Um we're going to get some other questions for you, Coach, uh, non-draft related. We'll start with Brandon. He said, last week, Coach Hyde, you answered a question about uh, Sua Cravens moving back to safety. And you said, as usual, it's all about getting your best players on the field, which I totally agree with. In the spring, we learned that the linebacking core is pretty solid and will add depth in the fall, while the safety position is still a huge question mark and in desperate need of a playmaker. So I wanted to know what you think about moving Sua Cravens 
back to safety and having the starting linebacker core of Tucker and Smith in the middle, Dawson playing Sua's old commi- uh, position, and Felix at the rush end. My only concern at this point is bouncing Sua back and forth every season. Thanks, Coach and Ryan, and fight on from Brandon. Well, Brandon, uh, of course, uh, I would like to see him be in one position uh, and uh, get your best players on the field. You hear me talk about that, and you mentioned it yourself. Uh, I think his future in the NFL will be in the in the secondary as a, as a safety. I think he'd be great for USC in the secondary with a safety. They have other players back there that could play pretty good, but this is a phenomenal athlete. This is a guy that makes a difference. This is a guy that can make great plays for you and be your leader. I used to always want my safety or one of my safeties to be the guy that could line everybody up where they're supposed to be so they can make a play and lead by example. Uh, so it, it's really important. Now, nothing nothing against him playing linebacker, but if you can get the right players on the field at the linebacker position, including the new players that are coming in, and you get a scheme where these, these guys can do what they you ask them to do, then, of course, I want him at safety. Uh, or I would suggest he plays a safety. But, again, you've got to look at your new personnel, and you've got to make sure that they evaluate these players every single day and see them on tape. I don't on who can play what position and who can do the best at it. But I know you've got to get pressure on the quarterback. If you don't get pressure on the quarterback or play on their side of the football, you're not going to win. You've got to play on their side. You know, it's, uh, I always used to tell my guys on defense, just make a play. You've got to make a play. Someone's got to make a play every down. And uh, you've got to have guys in there that are playmakers. Uh, you just really got to do that. And if you don't have that many defensive linemen that right now are playmakers, then you've got to help them with your linebacker core. You've got to say, hey, guys, they'll occupy two guys. You run through their free or whatever you need to do and make a play. And you've got to adjust your screens or schemes on the defensive side of the football where you best take advantage of what you can do. Now, right now, I would say the down guys uh, need a lot of help. Not that they're not uh, great players, uh, they're good talent, but are they playmakers? Do they have the ability to make a difference like Leonard Williams did every down? Uh, you don't have a Leonard Williams, so you've got to try to create somebody else through other methods. So uh, uh, I don't know who they're going to play where in the fall. All I know that, as I say, week after week after week, I don't want anybody great players watching the game with me. I want them to be playing in the game, whether it's on offense or defense, or if I have to move an offensive guy to the defensive side of the football or vice versa, you've got to make sure your playmakers are on the field. And you've got to make sure on defense you play on their side of the football, on the offensive side of the football. I think you've got to be tough. And you've got to be tough and dominate. You want to kick somebody's butt. And, you know, you don't wear pads even on your hands or anything else. You want to bleed occasionally, but you know you're not going to bleed to death. You get off the line of scrimmage and kick somebody. But, I mean, I used to tell my guys at times, hey, guys, even tell them we're running the ball there. Say, hey, we're coming here. Believe me, we're going to run right here, right now. And you're not going to be able to stop us. And when you do that a couple times and run and make it, what's a guy going to think on the defensive side of the ball? Hell, they're even telling me where they're coming. But that's the attitude you breed into your football team and players. We can't be stopped or we can't be scored on. 
and you just breed that, and that's what you develop, and that's why, you know, you got to have great players to be able to play to people <laughs> to do that too. Now, don't get me wrong. Right. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, thanks for that, Brandon. Um, let's go to Eric in Virginia Beach, back on the East Coast. He says, uh, for Coach Hyde, do coaches normally have a member of the staff that they can seek counsel, mem- mentorship, or advice from? And if so, who do you think on Coach Sark's staff is that person he would turn to? I'm asking this question because I wonder if Coach Sark had been provided feedback to the effect of two points. He said the first one is, uh, he said, let's stop referring to the spring game as a football game because it's not. And if you if you want it to be a football game, then let's make it a football game utilizing all three phases of the game, uh, a football between our squad, evenly divided by a personnel that can play. And the second point is, it's time for you to be the head coach of the University of Southern California. If you want to be offensive coordinator, let's get you hired as an offensive coordinator. The list goes on, but I hope you see what I'm getting at. Thanks for always providing candid responses. Fight on, Eric in Virginia Beach. Eric, uh, thank you for coming uh, and being with us today. Uh, Eric, my feeling is if there is one coach that Coach Sark could turn to, it would be Clay Helton. Nothing against any of the other coaches, maybe even T. Martin. But all the other coaches have been with him so long that they just do it that way. The defensive staff, uh, except for Chris Wilson, the defensive line coach. But I would think Clay Helton on the offensive side of the football would be the guy that I would go to. I think potentially he's a, a, a future whole head coach. I think T. Martin could be a potential head coach. I don't know the other coaches well enough to say that. But all I know that one game that Clay Helton coached for USC, he showed me what USC is supposed to be about. I, I talked to the officials in Las Vegas with the bowl game. They were there. They loved him there. He was so gracious with everybody. They, they, they want to get him back if they could get him back. I know that's maybe not a bowl game that SC wants to play in, but hey, they would gladly take him back because of the way he acted with the people there and appreciated the opportunity of playing in the game. He's got head coach material. Uh, the others are, are all part of the Washington staff. They're younger guys. Uh, they've learned on the move or wherever they've been, and they haven't really been around a long time to know from different programs and working for legendary coaches I mean, guys, Urban Myers, coaches like that, where they can say, well, this is the way Urban did it. This is what or whatever. And just as a suggestion, there's not a lot of coaches on his staff that can do that as far as experience-wise. I think that Justin was at, he was with, um, Wilcox was with Boise State, I think. Yeah. Yeah. With Chris Peterson. So, but he wasn't there a long time, a couple of years. And then I forget, where did he, what the text, where did he go after that? Uh, I don't really know, Coach. I'd have I forget to, where he yeah. went, but he went from several somewhere. So, you know, you've got to have guys. I always made sure I had older coordinators. I wanted, I wanted age and experience, and I also wanted some speed of core guys that you had to watch and say, now you can't do that. Or, you know, these guys would uh, drive to Fresno uh, after practice and be back in the office before I got there. You got to have some of those guys too, guys that you know are on the move, and you got to say why did you go there, and what did you do when you were there, and and all this. Are they utilizing their time properly? 
Then you got to have some guys that have been around and been in bowl games and and know just what's happening. You're not going to fool them. You know, you're not going to pull any wool over their face, whether you're assistant coach or whatever. But as a head football coach, you can't. You know, you're you're in charge of a corporation. This is a hundred million dollar corporation, or whatever it is, fifty or whatever the budget is. You're a CEO. And you're only as good as your sales and marketing and your customer service and all of the above. So you're going to have some guys that you can go to. Or when you have a staffing, you say, what's happening in recruiting? Or what's happening here? Or what's happening there? And if it isn't happening, then someone else is going to do it. And they understand that. And they, kindness is not weakness. But this is a responsibility we have to our players, the parents, the student body, the university, the whole thing, to us. So uh, right now on Coach Sarkeesian's staff, nothing against any of his assistant coaches. If you're listening, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that a lot of the coaches are still young. and Potentially they've got great ability, and they have, they're at one of the top universities in the country. Recruiting to USC is not recruiting to... Wyoming, nothing against Wyoming, but they don't have beaches in Wyoming <laughs> and and other things. So you have a lot going for you at USC, the tradition and everything else. I like to have sometimes guys that want it, Kansas State. Who wants to go to Manhattan? Well, they got some players there that did, Bruce, uh, Bill Snyder. I like guys, and look who came out of them, Barry Alvarez. I can go through the whole bunch of them that came out of Kansas State and played for or coach for Bill Snyder because winning at a place you're not supposed to win at is hard, and those guys know how to do that. So I think it's very important that you do that. I, I rambled too long on this, and I apologize. That's right. And uh, Justin Wilcox was at Boise. He was at Tennessee after Boise, so that was the – Okay, I okay. checked that out for you there. Okay. Uh, thanks for looking that up, buddy. Yeah, no problem. Eric, uh, That's thanks, Eric, for that one. And we got one last for, one for you, Coach. Kevin in South Orange County, he said, my question is based on something Coach Hyde talked about last week. He mentioned how we're going to eventually start paying for, quote-unquote, bowl packages, and I agree. So I wanted to get all of your thoughts on this ESPN versus Verizon lawsuit that is taking place right now. I'm sure you read uh, about it, but the crux of the suit is around bundled TV programs offering the the bundled TV program offerings and Verizon's shift towards removing ESPN from the major bundle to make it more of a niche offering uh, for sports fans. Many pundits feel this could alter the TV contract money landscape if it's not blocked in the court due to a substantial decrease in revenue for the sports networks who currently receive money from all subscribers, not just sports fans. I'd love to hear uh, any of your thoughts on this matter, Kevin in South Orange County. Kevin, are you a stockholder in one <laughs> of these companies or something? Because I'll tell you, I, I cannot speak with any intelligence on this topic. Uh, I, I see these things happening all the time, and you know, I don't spend my time reading it. I feel, feel that uh, the only thing I can consider and want done is I want the Pac-12 network on DirecTV, okay? That's my major concern. As far as what they're doing with Verizon and all of these suits or whatever they're doing, it's all over revenue. I mean, just this big fight this past weekend, uh, before they get all that revenue straightened away, who will be arguing over who got all the hits and the amount of money and who's claiming it all and all this and that? I mean, 
Uh, I don't know how that all works, and uh, I never got into it, and I apologize, but rather than guess and try to tell you what I think, I'd rather say I'm not educated in that, and I'm sorry. Yeah, no, and it, I, I'm I'm definitely not either, Coach. And uh, but it's a it's an interesting trend. I don't know if his point about would the the money. I think the money's still going to be there for live sporting events, like however it's distributed. I think you're never going to. I don't think the contracts are going to go down. You, I, you've never seen TV contracts do that. I forget what the. It's supposed to double every five or six years. Like there's, that's I think that's like the the rule of thumb, and I don't see that changing. I think the way we consume it can change a little bit, Coach, and that would be interesting to make. Uh, I mean, we get all these. If you're a sports guy and you get Directv, are you watching, uh, you know, HDTV or Lifetime or things like that? Probably not. Um, will we get to the point where you just buy the the channels that you want and? Uh, how how would that change things? Would that make your cable bill go down, or your satellite bill, and things like that? I I think it's a really interesting way to go. But to his point, I don't see it impacting the television revenue money. There's still going to be people are going to consume live sports. I think you know and, and continue to do that. We might see it a little bit differently, but I don't see TV contracts going down. They seem to only it's just it's not like the stock market it goes up and down. I think they just only go up. <laughs> I agree with that, and that's why I was talking about what the future is in uh, college athletics as well as uh, the Super Bowl and everything else. The Super Bowl we get free now. We won't be getting that free. We might not even be getting the the NFL playoffs or the NBA playoffs or, or any of that stuff here in the near future. Don't think they're not thinking about that and they're doing surveys on that. It's all about money, 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 and there becomes a point, and uh, – uh, not trying to say everybody should be able to make a, an honest living, make as much as but it becomes a point where, hey, let's forget all that. Let's enjoy the sports and how it got there, why it is available, why people will pay for it. Because it's something that's wonderful. It's something that's competitive. It's got discipline in it. It's got team teamwork in it. And you, you know, and you just continually go up and up and up, and you then you can eliminate you eliminate people who can't afford it. Yeah. It's just not right. I just don't think it's right. And uh, don't get me wrong, you know, like the fight the other night. The numbers they're talking about these fighters made, please. I think it's tremendous that they can make it. But I was one of the idiots that paid for the fight, okay? (laughs) I would have watched, rather watched a good college football game. Nothing against the fight. Because we had people over, you know how that is, like you did, Bobby Ryan, and everybody else. Because it was an event. But uh, it's getting ridiculous uh, that uh, the amount of money that people are spending that they sh- that they can't afford to spend. That's what I'm saying. That you yeah. can't afford to spend. Go to a Dodger game or go to a game and see what it costs you to go to. Hell, when I go to a game, I tell the guy, "I'll buy the tickets. You buy the food." <laughs> the food costs more than the tickets, Ryan. Yeah, believe me. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, I don't mean to rant and rave, but I really believe, and I, I do mean to rant and rave on this topic. I think there's a point where you can only gouge so much from fans and families. And you're going to hit a point where people are going to say, screw it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's going to happen. I hope it doesn't, but they might. Yep. They very well could. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. Thanks to uh, for coming on the show, talking about the draft and all the different topics around USC football. Again, Email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. If you want to hear more from the coach, uh, ask a question for him or Dan Weber or myself, and you can follow him at 
Coach Harvey Hyde on Twitter. That's at Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks again, Coach. Thank you very much. And for all of you out there, have a winning week. And uh, thank you very much for sending your questions in. I'm proud to be in the huddle with you. Right. We'll be back in a minute talking with USCfootball.com beat writer Dan Weber. More about the draft and other USC football topics. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Oh, man. What's wrong? It's my marketing guy. I can't get in touch with him, and I'm still waiting on simple website changes to get done. Who are you using? Uh, Some cheap and easy website company. I just can't get results. It's so frustrating. I never had that problem with my marketing company. I use Circle Marketing. They're always available, very friendly, and do great work. My business has seen improvements. They handled my website, online ads, and much more. Go to CircleMarketing.com and see if they're right for you. CircleMarketing.com, huh? Well, I'll go there right now. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. We are back with Dan Weber on the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com, beat writer. Check him out. He uh, was at the USC track meet over the weekend, of course, covering the Trojans in the NFL draft. We have a lot of questions and stuff to get to. But, Dan, thanks for uh, coming on the show. Hope everything's going well. Yeah, good. Is there Good weekend, really. You know, obviously everybody talks about the biggest sporting weekend in all, of all. And you know, I'm a as a Kentucky guy. I have two uh, two looks at the weekend. One, I don't like to see my Kentucky Derby get eclipsed, uh, uh, betting wise or attention wise or anything else. Uh, but uh, I guess it happens. And then the second part of that is I get a little nervous when people start, you know, start talking about the greatest fight of the century and all that. And, you know, I go back to Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. Uh, I still remember the dumbest thing I ever did as a little kid who loved sports is I think I stayed home to watch NBA playoffs. And my dad, was the, uh, who was a doctor, was the physician for the Kentucky State Golden Gloves and championships, the only time they were ever in northern Kentucky. And he came home and said, you screwed up, little boy. Uh, <laughs> you could have gone and seen the best fighter he said I've ever seen. He's a senior at Louisville Central High School. His name is Cassius Clay. <laughs> and he couldn't have been, you know, he couldn't have been more right. Uh, so when people talk about Mayweather and Pacquiao and the greatest this and the greatest that, you just say, come on, you know, there have really been some good boxers. And, uh, I'm not sure, you know, and certainly this this fight didn't qualify, no. you know, as one of the, the greatest ever. It just wasn't going to be because Mayweather is a, you know, defensive boxer who's really athletic. And Pacquiao, you know, with the short reach and that, how much how much could happen, you know, in a fight like that. But, but there have been, uh, but it was a great weekend, and it turned out to be a pretty darn good weekend for USC football. Uh you know, that made up some ground, uh, you know, on the last day in terms of the draft. And uh, for some kids that had, you know, probably gotten treated unfairly, certainly by the NCAA in their careers at USC, and still made the best of it, you know, 
turned out pretty well for them. Yeah, I mean, most of the questions we got, Dan, this week are about the draft, so we'll kind of attack it from a couple of different angles. Um, and, you know, it was a really big sports weekend. If you're a Clipper fan, that was fun. You know, the, the fight oh. was a dud. But um, and you were at the, you know, definitely check out uscfootball.com now. Dan's got a nice piece on uh, USC's uh, track dual meet uh, win over UCLA, a sweep with the men and the women where it didn't look didn't look that promising, especially for a private school that only gets, how many, 12 scholarships or something, Dan? 12.6, yeah, 12.6 scholarships for uh, an event. And it basically has 19 events for each of the men and the women. And, uh, you know, you're, you don't even have a scholarship person per event. Yeah. And they've done some remarkable things in, uh, you know, getting football players and, uh, you know, uh, transfers, uh, guys in graduate school and coming from places like Duke and uh, uh, Princeton. And uh, really remarkable uh, that Carol Smith-Gilbert has done for this program. Um, so, yeah, definitely check that out. It's on the front page of uscfootball.com right now. But we'll jump into uh, more draft talk. And let's go – we're going to go to Stephen Poway's question. He said, it was interesting watching the results of this year's NFL draft. First, watching the success USC had in the draft this year made me wonder about last year's bust. Uh, do you think that last year guys were left in the lurch basically – without a head coach to go to bat for them. Also, I couldn't help but think about two of USC's quote-unquote big misses who had very different experiences in the draft. Andres Pete, uh, who obviously went to Stanford, uh, picked Stanford over USC, went in the middle of the first round. And Ellis McCarthy, who went to UCLA over USC, and he went undrafted. Both seemed like sure bets when they entered college, but their careers seemed to be diverging. That's Stephen Powell. You know... I, on, on McCarthy, I honestly, it's one of the places I, I did not ever agree with the, uh, with the predictions. I just didn't like his effort. And, you know, he had one of those great-looking bodies. It just didn't look like he liked to play football that much. Uh, and um, so I, I was, you know, pretty much pleased they didn't get him. Uh, Andres Pete, I always thought, People liked him for a lot more reasons than I did, and, and I don't want to, you know, sound negative because I didn't go to USC. I just, you know, looking at his film the last couple of years against USC, I'm still waiting for him to, you know, do something that really makes me say, "Wow, you know, he's in the right system. He certainly looks like the kind of kid. He looks like he ought to be able to uh, to have a great deal of impact." But yeah, obviously, I think it really helped. Uh, to go to Stanford. I think it was just an absolute... I think he'd have done fine if he'd have gone to USC as well. But, uh, you know, he uh, he was in the right place where people can... You know, you can like Stanford offensive linemen and, and nobody has a problem with it. But uh, I think the thing with uh, with McCarthy, from what you're hearing, is is the way the US, or UCLA coaches thought about him. I think that had to, had to have an impact going forward. I mean, I'm not sure if they wanted him at UCLA next year. And you have to think if they don't, if they don't want you, who uh, why should an NFL team want you? I think with the USC kids last year, I don't think there's any question that the turnover in coaches to have the coaches that coached you gone and the coaches that are here never coached you. That was again, I was 
course, you know, everybody knows I was kind of a negative person about uh, changing over in terms of staff, the way things were going then because of, of the downsides, and there were some. And uh, one of the real downsides, I think, was uh, what was going to happen to those guys. They, uh, they got lost in the shuffle, and there's almost nothing you can do about it. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks for that one, Steve. Um, and Bearsecutor, I'll, I'll read this a little bit longer, but I'll, it's an in- interesting question here, Dan, for you. He said, it's truly remarkable that, that the Washington program had three first-round defenders and then a day-two draft pick on defense. Certainly, they know how to select and recruit and develop great individual talent. And Leonard Williams goes number six while being arguably the consensus top player in the draft, even if they didn't pick him. Uh, so we know that they could spot and develop great defensive talent, but USC's defense last year hardly over, was hardly overwhelming, and the Huskies finished number 78 in total defense. The question has to be asked, first, uh, during their reign in Seattle and now USC, about their abilities at defensive coordination. Obviously, they can recruit, and their assistant uh, position coaches can coach, but can they scheme, adjust, get their best players on the field at the right spots at the right time? Arguably, have had more defensive talent available than any other defensive coach in the country the past five years. Doesn't it suggest that while great evaluators of talent, both for players and assistant position coaches, when it comes to the executive skills of game day coaching, preparation, ad-libbing, have they peaked? Has SC hired a great position coach as a defensive coordinator in Justin Wilcox and a great offensive coordinator as head coach in Steve Sarkeesian? It's common for people of all occupations to and he says, quote, unquote, Peter principle, which is to be have a great success in one position, uh, but then fail after being promoted uh, at a very different when di- very different levels of skill sets are required. So the kind of long ass question there. But Bear Secutor wants to know about the what you think of the USC defensive coaching. Yeah, that is the question. I mean, it isn't just, you know, a question. That's the question for this team this year. Uh, and, and, you know. I think evaluation is one thing. Development is another. I don't know that you have to develop guys uh, at, at that level. The NFL is looking for talent, and they're looking for talent that they can develop or talent that will develop while it's there. Uh, so whether those guys were all you know, developed uh, or what that co- connection was, and what the connection, you know, maybe necessarily between playing team football and, and doing the best you can for, the, you know, the talent as a group and individual, you know, individually develop them either. I mean, I think there's a, there is an issue. If you started at Washington when they, you know, had that, I can't, I'm trying to remember, what was it? Was, they won two games the year before, one game before Sark got there. Oh, they're 0-12. And, uh, they're 0-12. Oh, they were O. Yeah. They were O. They yeah. were O for. And so, I mean, they didn't probably have O for talent, but they had, um, I think he started from a position of, let's just try to hang in there. Let's figure out how to survive and all of that. And now he's at USC. And I think the thing you have to do at USC is you've got to put it all together. I mean, USC, I mean, when you recruit kids and say, we're going for national championships, that's what USC is. When you come into the program that despite everything that's happened the last few years, USC still leads in virtually every category of the NFL draft, you know, and, 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 and overall first-round draft picks and uh, 
the last, you know, in the modern era, since 1967, I hadn't seen that stat, that USC, there's only two schools, LSU and I guess uh, Miami, are the only schools that are within 20 of USC in first-round draft picks. That's now, after all of this that they've gone through. Uh, so when you come to USC, I think it's the thing that's held them up the most of anything, as good as you know the school, the location, all of the other things. I think the fact that kids know you come to USC, you're going to get a heck of a shot at the next level. Uh, so I think the difference at USC, you have to be a coach who can put that all together. I think uh, watching uh, watching track and field and seeing you know in, in the second year what Carol Smith Gilbert has done to have a women's team number one and a men's team number four, uh, she realized what you can do here. And I think Sark is doing the same thing. I think the realization is there. And now you find out, are you one of those, you know, if it's arguably, without any doubt, one of the top four jobs, let's say, in the country, arguably you have to have one of the four top coaches in the country, I think, that has to match up. You know, I mean, uh, Nick Saban should be at a place like Alabama. Urban Meyer should be at a place like Ohio State. And I don't think, you know, no matter what you think about them, whether you want them to be your best buddy or not, they can coach the heck out of college football. USC needs that guy. And this is the year we find out. And I think the same thing with the defensive coordinator and, uh, and Justin Wilcox. I think there are some signs that, they understood that maybe they played their hand a little, um, and not so much scared, but just a little tentative, a little hesitant, a little bit. Let's hold on, and maybe we'll it'll work out. And of course, they were dealing with low scholarship numbers. So the, that was another issue in bringing in a new coaching staff. You have people who've never gone through a season with those kinds of numbers. The previous coaching staff had gone through two years of it. That was another negative. It was a difficult thing, and we saw what happened. It probably was an overreaction to the numbers once they got into the season. Um, and maybe even during games when, you know, the way they played in the first half wasn't always the way they played in the second half and certainly not in the fourth quarter. Um, so I think Bear Secutor asked exactly the right question. The person with the answer or the persons with the answer are Steve Sarkeesian and and Justin Wilcox, and we'll, we'll, we'll know soon enough. Stay tuned. <laughs> Certainly a lot of questions uh, looking to be answered this year, the second year. Uh, a lot of talent. Uh, Phil still just came out and picked USC to be preseason number seven, so be higher expectations this year. We'll have to see how they end up coaching. And and he hit this. He didn't really mention it in the last uh, question, but Earl of West LA brings it up. So Steve Sarkeesian, those three players from Washington in the first round, um, and then two players from USC. So he coached five first-round draft picks in this draft. Has any? And he, uh, Earl wants to know, has any other coach had five first-round picks before like that? I'm not sure what the answer is. I don't know if you would either. but Yeah, John McKay in 1968, USC had five first-round draft picks all by themselves. Oh, okay. And uh, that was, you know, when they had a, a, number of draft, a number of rounds. But that USC team had 14 uh, picks, but yeah, they had five. Uh, that was the record for USC in one year. So 
so it has happened. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering, Dan, too. The same thing happened where you know, like, if you know, Urban Meyer leaves Florida and go, you know, and, and you know, there's some of his players got drafted. It's you know, and, but he went to Ohio State. I guess that was a year later, but. Um, you know, anything like when a, when a coach leaves, you have a chance to get more, you know, and it just, it turned out it's good for, for, for Sark. I mean, those guys, the guys in Washington were his recruits, his, he coached those guys up, not, you know, at USC kind of, you know, he didn't recruit Nelson Aguilar or Leonard Williams. So I, I guess they wouldn't, they would count less, but having three for Washington off that defense, I thought was pretty impressive. Yeah. I mean, it's impressive in one way and it's one of those, uh oh. What's going on here in the other way? Now, maybe uh, as much of a question for Chris Peterson. I think so, yes. As it is for Sark. But that's one of those uh, moments where I'm sure people around the country are slapping their heads and going, Washington? Really? And even in the Pac-12, we didn't get to see him the last two years. Right. But uh, you're thinking, really? Wow. Yeah. And we knew that all along. And I, I remember writing earlier in the year that they're going to have three first-rounders. And they sure as heck did. They did, yeah. Uh, but uh, so that's that's a to me that's more of a Chris Peterson this year thing, right? I mean, they were seventy eighth in defense, and it's I don't know what was going on. I know he and I, I probably mentioned this a little bit in the war room that the USC Washington game this year ought to be kind of interesting because Peterson has gone out of his way, and I think even again in the spring to talk about how he had to change the culture and change everything around and you know, all the shortcomings that he found in the program when he got there. And uh, so that ought to be kind of an interesting, friendly little get-together yeah. when, uh, when Washington comes here for that Thursday night game because he hasn't said much very much nice about the previous staff. He didn't say, thanks for all. leaving me three first-round draft picks or anything. I know. It's just, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he's been very, very vocal about – how he didn't like what he found when he got to Washington. Yeah. Uh, well, so, speaking of that, bigger. yeah. Well, uh, Shaq Thompson. Uh, this is from Tarek. He said Shaq Thompson was drafted in the first round, but fell because a lot of teams were unsure what position he truly was. Um, is that something Sua Craven should consider? Because obviously, oh, I'm sure he is. Uh, I don't think there's any there's any question. You, you know, but you are who you are. You know, I mean, if you're a hybrid guy, and he is size wise, athletic wise, talent wise. Uh, I think you, you're better off playing to your talent rather than trying to play to a position. You know, as, as Sue told me the last time I talked to him about that, he said, I don't think I'm going to play at 230, 235, you know, whatever. That's what if you wanted to say, okay, he's a strictly an outside linebacker, let's say. Uh, is that the thing for him to do and build himself up and, and take himself out of the – the safety mix or does he play this way where he's, you know, got a lot more possibilities of, of where he could play in the NFL. So, I mean, I think you just have to be yourself. You have to be who you're comfortable with. We'll see what his comfort, he's been up and down weight wise from 210 to 230. And we'll have to see, you know, what is the right weight. I think somewhere in between is the right weight and he's going to end up playing a lot of places and let the NFL figure it out. But, uh, but I don't think he should limit himself and say, you know, that, that Shaq Thompson, you can say, oh, that was a negative, but it wasn't that big a negative. It's hey, still a first-round pick. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the kind of negative. You have to be looking for negatives if you make that a negative. Yeah. Um, so, 
Because the hypothetically, where would he have been picked as an outside linebacker if he weighed two thirty-five? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so so no, I think that may be overthinking it a little bit, and maybe that was Sue a little bit too. I think when Sue. I don't think they handled the switch real well, the communication about it and the whole thinking about it and probably the implementing of what they were doing on defense to take advantage of it. I think the whole thing didn't didn't go as well as it, it could have, but I think it Sua has figured it all out now. Yeah. And I think he's he's really fine with it and he he really gets it. And you need the kid himself to get it. I mean, I call him a kid. He he just he's just kind of um he has more fun and he's more opinionated and he uh he'll probably tell you more how he's thinking about things and um and so um we would know uh if if there's kind of a hesitancy of, of doing it this way. I think this has worked way out the best way where he doesn't, you know, go all one all one way or all the other way. Yeah. And just tries to be as good as he can be, doing all the things he can do and they have to follow up by putting him in position to be around the football and make those kinds of plays that he can make on the ball. And that USC has to have the courage to do that on defense. You know, it's funny. You mentioned the transition didn't go well. If he, I mean, if you remember back to the beginning of fall camp last year, Sua Cravens wasn't running with the first-team defense. Like, Do you remember that? Like, how crazy was that? Yeah, they didn't exactly. It was like, you know, oh, he's a square peg and we got all these round holes. And they didn't have a – and the thing with, you know, Quentin Powell, they didn't exactly have a place in their vision of their defense where he fit. And what you want to do, I think, more is look at who you've got yeah. and figure out what they should do on defense, not the other way around. Yes. Uh, that's, that's me. I mean, uh, if you and, can't and find I a place for Sua Cravens, there's something more wrong. More in that direction. Yeah, if you can't find a place for Sua Cravens, there's something wrong. And a lot of people feel the same way. Like Quentin Powell, there should be a place for him somewhere on this defense. Yeah, so it's not so much they have to change. You know, I mean, there may be an absolute limit to how much weight uh, Quentin Powell can carry. But he can make plays. What your job then is to figure out in your defense, where does he play? How do we use him yeah. to get what we can get out of him? And that's, up, that's on you, not so much. You know, telling Quentin he's got to weigh in at 225. Might not ever be able to do that, but we know he can make plays. Uh, let's go to JC in the OC. He says, boy, what a mistake George Farber made, not being drafted. His time to shine was now at USC his senior year. Finally healthy and presumably the starting two uh, receiver spot waiting for him at SC in 2015. He demonstrated some promising talent at the end of 2014 with great catches against Notre Dame. In Nebraska, not to mention finally establishing some rapport with Cody Kessler. What was he thinking? A strong 2015 campaign on what could be a team in Final Four contention, and his stock would have soared and put him in a position for a first or second round pick, at least in next year's draft. Does he not understand the history of Troy Polamalu and Clay Matthews Jr., great NFL stars who used breakout senior seasons to launch their heralded careers? That's JC and the OC. Yeah, J.C., I mean, that's certainly one way to look at it. Uh, and and you could defend that way of looking at it and absolutely say it. Uh, I think his, his thought was, I've had these injuries. I could get injured again. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not insurable because of the injuries because I'm not projected to go anywhere 
in the draft. Uh, and if that happens, then boom, I've got nothing. And I think he decided if he was going to take a chance on having a good year. For example, let's say he has that breakout year uh, and plays up to all those abilities. If he does that in the Cowboys camp, he may still be in a, in a really good place. I mean, that's the, the decision he made was, I'm going to give it my shot. I'm healthy now. I'm getting to where I think I could be. Obviously, the guys he grew up with are all in the NFL and they're all going to be, you know, good NFL players for a lot of years. And I think in that situation, I think he just decided that I'm going to get this shot this year. And uh, I can't disagree. If, if he did all those things you said he was going to do, if he does them in the Cowboys camp, he'll probably make the roster. If he makes the roster, you know, then maybe he made the right decision. Uh, they'll, they'll be enamored about his physical gifts. I mean, he will be somebody who shows up at an NFL camp and they'll say, wow, that's a guy from USC. He didn't ever really get a chance to show what he could do, but look at him. You know, he's uh, 6'1 plus, I don't know, 6'1, 215, 220, and he can run, you know, as well as anybody on our team. Um, so I think he's got a chance. And if that's the case, you know, I'm just happy for George. And I don't, I don't think people should get down on him all that much. I mean, he's been a really good guy. He's uh, been a good influence on the team. A lot of kids would not have handled, you know, if you came up with, uh, with all those Sarah kids and they're all in the NFL or going to the NFL and you're, you know, a kid that really hasn't even gotten a chance to almost show what he can do, that could have gone south, uh, and it didn't. And uh, so I'm just wishing him well, and, and I'm not going to second-guess him. It was his decision, and uh, I think he made the best decision he could make. And it wouldn't necessarily would have been my decision. I don't know. But, uh, but I, I'm, just, I'm just wishing uh, George nothing but the best. Yeah, I think uh, he's speaking for me too, Dan. We uh, great kid. It was always fun to cover him through high school and college. I hope he does well. Um, we've got a couple of team questions we'll end on with, Dan, if that's okay. Uh, Melvin wants to know, can we expect Trey Madden to be ready to play in the fall, or is it hopeful that he'll be ready for the fall season? I ask because I assume the freshmen Jones, Ware, and Davis should expect playing time if Trey Madden, again, is not able to run the ball for USC. Well, I don't know about in, you know, injuries like that with surgery like that. I don't know if you ever expect anything. You know, uh, foot injuries are, are really, uh, you know, I mean, the, the amount of pressure those guys put on their feet, uh, especially somebody who runs like uh, Trey, and I know he's worked on mechanics and worked on maybe, you know, uh, not putting as much pressure on uh, on his feet as, as he had, but uh, – but I don't think we can possibly know. I don't think Trey can know. I mean, it's gone well. I think he's gone maybe better than he thought it would. Uh, but uh, uh, I would say just expect him to do the absolute best to be back, because he has. And just expect him to come in with uh, at least as much ability as he went out with and uh, expect them to you know, work him in in a, in a smart way. I think they're, you know, everybody's aware now of what can happen. And uh, and then you just see, you know, and it's mostly uh, let's hope everything goes well. 
but uh, but I wouldn't, you know, put any expectations. I mean, I think they think he will be ready. He thinks he will be ready. I mean, he thinks that, you know, that he's he's on. He's probably ahead of schedule. So from that standpoint, that's probably a good thing. Uh, but uh, but I don't I don't know that we should have expectations. Just that uh, we know he's there. We know what he can do, and we can hope that uh, that he gets a chance to do it for his sake as well as for USC's sake. And they're going to give those freshmen a chance. I mean, they're they always do. I think that's if Sark has done one thing really well, and I think one thing that that Pete, you know, he learned from Pete was that ability to incorporate, to give those, um, you know, freshmen a chance and to incorporate the ones who can contribute right away. I mean, I thought that one of the key moments for Pete Carroll was the Mike Williams case. They realized, and I know was, I argued with people on the beat, and I thought he was absolutely one of the best things I'd ever seen as a freshman uh, in camp. And a lot of people just said, there's no way you can't play freshman like that. Well, you can, you could. And I think Sark has done a really good job uh, last year. I don't think he could do a better job with incorporating the uh, the offensive linemen. You might be able to do a better job with uh, exactly what you're doing on the run game. But uh, in terms of you know incorporating those kids, uh, I thought they did a did a marvelous job. And I think they will with this running back group. So I don't think it's either or there. I think the the two things work well together. And we got one last one for you, Dan. It's kind of on the recruiting side, but we get this, um, and this is from Chris in Cincinnati. So, Chris, I'm not trying to bash or anything here, but we do get some kind of the, the sky is falling t- sort of uh, questions a lot. On, it was happened on the Peristyle or on the podcast, and people are worried about Crosstown rival UCLA, and, and they forget, like, well, USC did sign the number one recruiting class of the country last year. Um, but here's the question. He says, I know it's early in the year, what is the big thing with the Bruins? Many uh, recruits across the country have UCLA in their top uh, picks, and it seems to have a real shot. Why does it seem that US, UCLA has more of a presence than we do? Guess I am missing something. Uh, Chris, fight on from Chris in Cincinnati. Well, I know when I was a high school coach uh, right outside of Cincinnati, UCLA was kind of the place where kids would you know, list, uh, they'd say Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, um, maybe Tennessee then, and, oh, yeah, UCLA. And they'd all take a trip to L.A. And I think UCLA got one of those kids, you know, like an out of 100. Uh, I think some of that's happening here. I think USC isn't just bringing kids in just to be bringing them in. I mean, I think they have to really feel like, uh, you know, this is a kid exactly right for us. And, um, and I do think you have a, you know, a great year, one year that fills a lot of your needs and that changes your direction the next year. It changes, you know, the numbers or it changes the, you know, the, the offers and it changes all of that kind of thing. So, so yeah, I, I think it's awful early to be worrying about, uh, you know, where this recruiting class is going. I mean, I think, uh, and I think there is a sum of what Pete did um, for a while anyway, where they, you know, just told kids to, you know, you don't have to, you know, if you feel like you're going to be under any pressure and all of that, you don't have to be telling it in the whole world, uh, you know, where USC is in the, 
you know, in your in your pecking order and all of that as, as, as far as teams are concerned and all that. And that says that they have closed pretty well uh, the last couple of years. So uh, I, I would probably, that would be not something I'm worried about uh, right at this point. I mean, I'm not looking at the different kids and, you know, her you know, saying one school or the other school or whatever and saying, wow, that's going to really hurt or, wow, that's really going to hurt or, or whatever. I, ha- I just haven't seen any of that. I mean, I see, you see names and you see, uh, you know, references uh, to UCLA, but I'm not sure that you see kind of, a, you know, any kind of a trend. I think that may be getting ahead of the getting ahead of the game a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a little premature uh, to, to worry about that. But, you know, USC, like I said, signed the number one class in the country. When you're talking about out-of-state recruits, and UCLA did a great job, uh, especially this last class, in bringing in some play, you know, top players from around the country. But so, you know, USC did as well. Usually the out-of-state guys, you're not like the, you know, Chris Clark, the tight end. Um, you know, he was, you know, looked like USC was a leader. And then they get a commit, you know, commitment from Tyler Petita, three-star guy. And the five-star guy's like, oh, I'm not going to go to USC now. I mean, there's different stuff going on. Usually you're not going head-to-head for out-of-state guys when you're talking about local schools. I think if you, if, uh, if an Iman Marshall or, uh, you know, a Dory Jackson or Juju Smith, like those local five-star guys that USC traditionally gets. If those guys start going to UCLA, I think maybe you can, you know, get some worry there. But people were worried about Iman Marshall to the very end. And, you know, he ended up picking uh, USC. So I, I think it's a little premature there, Chris. And, uh, you know, don't worry too much. But uh, Jim Moore has done a great job there. And I think you everyone has to recruit a different way. I mean, Steve Sarkeesian is going to use Oh, I had five first-round draft picks this last year. That that's something that fits right into the wheelhouse. Where a lot of the players that come to SC, the NFL is on their mind. And I think you know Jim Mora will do things a little differently. Of course, they're sending guys to the NFL too. But it's a different. I mean, you you sell different pro you know pluses and minuses. Or you don't sell your minuses, but you emphasize the pluses more. And I think UCLA has some different pluses than USC that they kind of focus on different things. So they're out there making yeah, a name I, for themselves. I think Moore is going to sell the last three years. Yeah. I think this year becomes really important. I mean, you know, you don't want to overstate it because that doesn't probably do you any good uh, when that game comes up. But, yes, he's got a – they've gone in there three straight years with just horrific game plans and even worse execution and uh, mostly attributable to three different coaching staffs. It just – and Moore just sits back there and keeps doing the same thing to him. Now, obviously, the, a big part of it was Hundley. And USC, of all, you know, Stanford figured out Hundley. A lot of people figured out Hundley. You know, he led the nation in sacks. But USC didn't. <laughs> USC stood around and said, we'll, we'll just we'll play it straight. No. Get Hundley. Tackle Hundley. But for three straight years, they haven't been able to do that. Um, so I, I think actually probably people overplay, you know, the USC UCLA game in terms of recruiting. I don't know that you can overplay it this year. I think it really matters this year. I think USC, because if you look at the NFL draft, who do you think had more talent, um, you know, on the field this year, last year, whatever. UCLA has been pretty good and better than probably they should have been almost, but, um, but those games shouldn't have happened the way they happened. And USC has to make sure they don't keep happening. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks for uh, talking about the draft, some about the team. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, continue to cover, follow these guys as they move on to their NFL careers, training camps, and all that kind of stuff. But great stuff. And hope you had a 
fun time this weekend with all the sports. But thanks again. That was fun. It really was. I really would. Uh, and for you people who uh, haven't seen a big track meet in a long time, uh, the Pac-12 is this weekend at, uh, at UCLA. And I would suggest, I would, you know, if you're looking for something to do, it's, uh, there's a lot to watch, and uh, it's, it's fun. And there's, there'll be a lot of USC kids to root for. So, uh, so I, would, uh, I would recommend that uh, for somebody and take your kids, and it's, a, it's just a great time. Sweet. All right, Dan. Appreciate that thought and everyone out there. Check out the USC, the track meet, the Pac-12 championships over at UCLA this weekend. Hope you enjoyed the show, and we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 